The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. I take full responsibility for everything this government has been doing in tackling coronavirus, and I'm very proud of our record. Tens of thousands of our citizens have died avoidably. These were unnecessary deaths because of systematic government misconduct. With good British common sense, we will continue to defeat this virus and take this country forward. There are a lot of green shoots of opportunity on the horizon. You know, we've been held down on the forest floor for far too long, and we will reach that canopy again. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. Now, number 10 is facing a backlash from MPs and local government leaders across the north of England this morning after they woke up to find plans for a stricter lockdown had been leaked to the papers. The Times says Merseyside is amongst the areas that are going to see pubs and restaurants closed from Monday. That's after Boris Johnson signed off on a three-tier system of restrictions for England. Those sources tell Bloomberg no final decisions have actually been taken. Yeah, it does make you worry about one last hurrah. If everybody knows things are going to come into force, pubs are going to close on Monday as we head into the weekend. You, you do worry about how people might react for that. Uh, the government is stumping up a bit of cash, though, planning emergency rescue measures for businesses that are struggling to cope with these local lockdowns. So people familiar telling us that uh, nothing has been set yet. No date has been agreed. Uh, and it's all sort of dependent on the changes to the restrictions as the pandemic unfolds, which seems rather sensible. You have now 17 million people, Roger, who are in areas under stricter virus restrictions. We talk about coming out of lockdown as a country, but piecemeal, Lots of people still very affected by this. Indeed. Well, let's uh, now talk to Wayne David, who's Labour MP for Caerphilly, who joins us now on the line. Wayne, thanks so much for being with us. Um, the situation in Wales, of course, has been pretty strong anyway for a fairly long period. In fact, if anything, probably under rather stricter restrictions than much of the rest of the country. Are they warranted? Do they work? Uh, yes, I think they are warranted. And yes, they do work as far as Wales is concerned. I represent... Uh, uh, Caerphilly, and Caerphilly was the uh, first area of Wales to be put under a local lockdown. And the indications are that the uh, uh, the rate of, of COVID-19 has declined. And uh, the evidence is that it is working on the local authorities preparing plans to come out of that local lockdown. Uh, and Wayne, what about this Labour analysis that shows that 19 of the 20 areas in England that have been under restrictions for the last two months have seen an increase in infection rates? What's going wrong there that has seen such a different outcome to, to what you're talking about in Wales? It's difficult to be precise, but certainly I can speak from um, you know the example of Wales, if you like, and the example of Caerphilly in particular where there's been a, a great involvement of the, of the local authority. In fact, there's been a, an effective partnership within the Welsh Government and Caerphilly County Borough Council. And that seems to be effective. It seems to work. It seems to, you know, do what it's supposed to do, and that is reduce the, the level of COVID-19. And my suspicion and my concern is that in England, the, the government is adopting a very confused piecemeal attitude of deciding, as it were, 
from almost from the centre, but local areas would come under lockdown. Now, I, I suspect that in different parts of England, as in different parts of Wales, the situations on the ground are very, very different. And uh, what I would like to see is more involvement of, of local authorities uh, so that there's a consensus which where action is required, it is done sensibly and rationally. Now, it's interesting you mentioned about the local connection because uh, we were speaking to Shane Moore both on this programme but also this morning on our other programme, Daybreak Europe, where he was definitely saying he's the leader of Hartlepool Council. They have not had any kind of contact, really, with the government in terms of consultation. But let me pick up on this, Wayne, though, because in one sense, yes, maybe it is an effective way of dealing with the virus, but it's also a very effective way of killing local business. Business can't really operate, particularly hospitality under these circumstances. So there's a huge price to pay, isn't there is a price to pay, but I think that uh, the government should be more proactive in providing support for uh, for local businesses, for the hospitality sector in particular. And I know the cost is high, but the cost of doing nothing and standing to one side is e- even greater. And uh, you know, I would like to see more systematic support now from the government in this crucial period, because uh, you know, either are we going to uh, defeat COVID-19 now and see a, a, a decline in the, the incidence of the disease, or are we going to see an escalation? And I think it is very, very important that uh, the government does recognise the concern that the public have at the moment and the concern, legitimate concern, that is amongst large sectors of the, the economy, particularly the hospitality sector. Uh, and what about these plans that are supposed to be coming in on Monday? So say many of the papers. Now that this is out, the cat's out of the bag. D- does the government need to act more quickly and stop people from having a bit of a a party before the pubs and the restaurants close in their part of the country? Well, I hope a concerted message will go out to people to, to behave in a, in a reasonable way, because uh, the last one we want to see it now is, is to people coming out and, and flouting the existing rules in anticipation of a, of a tighter lockdown in a few days' time. And uh, I think one of the things that the government has to do is to look very, very carefully at how it introduces uh, these measures. And, uh, and personally, I mean, I think there's a lot to be said for the government acting very, very swiftly and literally giving warning of just a, a, a few hours or a couple of days at most, rather than a long lead-in period, because I think that... Uh, Unfortunately, it is tempting people to behave in a, in a responsible way. Now, Wayne, I mean, interesting sometimes to get a look at a particular part of the country in some detail. And you're in Caerphilly. What is the situation mm. there? How is business functioning? How are people functioning? And, and what is the medical outlook right now in Caerphilly? Well, as as far as ordinary people are concerned, I think that uh, the overwhelming majority of people are abiding by the, the new regulations. I think the, the Welsh Government has communicated in a very down-to-earth, practical way what is required. There's, I have to say there's been no thumping, no excessive rhetoric, simply a, a, a cool setting out of the, the measures and why they are needed. Um, and, and businesses, of course, they're, they're, they're feeling the pinch, there's no doubt about that. I mean, one of the particular concerns that we have in Kifili, and indeed in other lockdown areas in Wales, is that people cannot leave the uh, area which was locked down, the particular borough, uh, because the regulations say that people should not leave the area unless they have 
uh, a reasonable, to quote the legislation, excuse. Now, that means that people cannot go on holidays. They are legally prevented from doing so. But many uh, companies, um, insurance companies, travel agents, uh, uh, airlines are not recognizing that legislation. So often people no refunds, even though they cannot go on their holidays. Their attitude is we take our advice from the from central government, from the foreign office, and if areas uh, are still okay to receive uh, tourists, then the holidays go ahead, and it's just tough luck uh, that people from many parts of Wales are unable to take up their holidays. So that's one thing that we want to see addressed, not so much by the Welsh government, but we want a firm recognition that there's a real problem in Wales because of the legislation, and a strict instruction to all travel agents, etc., that they must obey the Welsh law and ensure that people get refunds. That's a particular Welsh problem. Mm. And no doubt your post bag is filling up very quickly with issues like that. Um, let's talk about yeah. Labour for a bit. We mm. had this story this week about um, about Unite cutting its funding. Uh, do, do you think it's time now to be moving away from unions and start looking at big donors again like the party did in the Blair era? Well, I think it is unfortunate that really that uh, Unite has, has taken this decision to reduce its, its funding for the, the Labour Party. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's a misreading of uh, what is happening inside the Labour Party, and I do regret what was a very narrow vote by the United Executive. Uh, but I think that the Labour Party you know, has always had a multiplicity of sources for its finance, the unions, the members, private donors, and that has always, always been the case, and that will continue to be the case. I don't think it will be a situation of the Labour Party uh, changing the uh, the direction of travel it has taken because you know, one particular union says we don't like it very much when we're reducing our funding. You know, it, it will make no difference to the Labour Party's development trajectory. Well, could you see it perhaps as uh, Ben Bradshaw, your fellow MP, has described mm. it as almost an advantage? He said uh, he thinks Keir Starmer will probably welcome a bit of distance from the man who's done our movement so much damage. Is that a fair way to see the leadership of Unite? Well, certainly from, from what I've said there, I mean, you can surmise that uh, I don't think it's right for any individual or any group of people to actually say, do what I want or you don't get the money. I think but we will do what it, we, is right, and it's up to the trade unions and anybody else to decide whether or not they want to back that. I hope they will. You know, the, the link with the trade unions and the Labour Party is very important, but it's up to them. But, but when you say that it's a, it's a misreading of the situation within Labour, but surely something must have broken down for the vote to have gone the way it did within Unite. Well, I, I don't think because I, you know, I honestly believe that most trade unionists, you know, are concerned about the situation now. They're concerned about the fact that Labour Party has been out of power so, for so long. We have had uh, an anti-trade union government with the Tories in power for so long. And what they want to see is a, is a Labour government. And Keir Starmer has proved emphatically that he's an effective leader of the party. And we've got a, a big hill to climb. But of course, the, the preparations now are much better than many people imagined were possible. And I think that, you know, trade unions across the country recognise that reality. Unfortunately, there, there are some people at the top of one particular union, uh, which 
I've got strong reservations about it. I think that's unfortunate. I hope they'll see the light before too long. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cuttereconomicforum.com. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. And we start with a bit of good news, I suppose you could say. Prisons in England and Wales are apparently safer now than before the pandemic. This is according to the Prison Officers Association, which says that they've separated inmates into smaller groups to prevent the spread of the virus. And as a result of that, they're now getting on better and there's reduced gang violence. So the union is now saying that these groups, which is around 15 to 20 people at a time, should become permanent. The prison service promising to consider what lessons can be learned from the pandemic. So perhaps a slightly fluffy commitment to change there. Although there are some concerns there about separating prisoners into particularly small groups if they're already incarcerated. Yeah, there can be all kinds of issues surrounding, but I suppose the big takeaway is just the fact that they're not the uh, areas of intense COVID that people feared they might be. Yeah. But let's turn and think about coastal areas, because more than 40 councils in such areas of the UK have demanded a £1 billion kickstart from the government to help recover from the pandemic. Now, in a letter to the Chancellor, they say the money could create almost 74,000 jobs by developing zero-emission ships and offshore wind farms. Now, earlier in the week, of course, the Prime Minister promised to make the UK a world leader in green energy, but the trade group Maritime UK, which coordinated the letter, said the approach could be more ambitious. And without the billion-pound investment, Britain won't meet its target of cutting net greenhouse gas emissions to zero by 2050. Yeah, that's tricky on that one. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to say just how much is involved there, but it's certainly a very ambitious goal. And then we have, a, I suppose, a sort of update on Brexit. A deal seems to be within reach. We've had our people looking at this one. The chief negotiator for the UK, David Frost, suggesting he's in favour of a strong dispute settlement mechanism for state aid issues. Now, this is one of the big sticking points in the negotiations, and it seems like he might be giving a little bit of ground there. And at the same time, an official telling Bloomberg that Frost's EU counterpart, but Michel Barnier, told a meeting of ambassadors that member states should be willing to be more flexible on fish, another key area of disagreement. So perhaps both sides now seem a little bit more willing to compromise. Boris Johnson, of course, threatening to pull out if he doesn't see any chance of a deal by October the 15th, just days away now, about a week away. Uh, but people with knowledge of the talks also say that there is elaborate choreography afoot, which means that both sides are going to be able to find a way to carry on these discussions in the second half of October. So October the 15th, seeming like a little bit of a red herring, perhaps. Well, perhaps, talking of fish, but of course, at the same time, elaborate choreography and Boris Johnson, not two phrases you'd normally think you would see together, <laughs> or perhaps a rather unpleasant image comes into the mind if one does. But let's move swiftly on from that. One of the key issues in the government's handling of this crisis is how far they can bring the British public along with them in the increasingly harsh virus restrictions that are coming in. Now, there have been protests from local leaders in affected areas, as we've heard, but how are ordinary people feeling about this? Well, joining us to give us some illumination into this is Adam Drummond, who's Associate Director at Opinium. Adam, welcome to the programme. Thanks for being with us. Um, what sense do you get about the way in which the public are reacting? What do they think of these sort of measures? So I think one of the, one of the interesting things is that as the, the pandemic has gone on, 
Um, one of the things that hasn't really changed is that there is widespread public support for almost whatever sort of restrictive measure gets put forward. So one of the questions that we've been tracking since, obviously, you know, the pandemic really began was approval and disapproval of the way the government's been handling it generally. So at the moment, it's, it's net negative uh, in that more people are disapproving than approving. It has been that way since about May. Um, but the peak of, of public approval for the way the government was handling things was in March and April. And there was a particular spike towards the end of March when the first sort of lockdown measures really kick in and there's a real sort of public sense that, OK, the government's getting a grip on this. They are doing something visible and tangible um, to uh, to tackle this. So, that, so you see figures for the percentage of proving of the way the government's handling it, you know, jump up to like 60, 70 percent, which is enormous. Um, and then it gradually sort of settles back down. Um, but there's, there's a difference, obviously, between how people think the government is handling things and support and opposition to particular measures themselves. So one of the things that we've consistently found is that when we ask people, do you think that we're unlocking and, and releasing lockdown too quickly, too slowly about the right level, the overwhelmingly most popular answer is always too fast. We're, we're unlocking things too fast. It's not safe. Um, people expect a second wave whenever we ask about it. And the most recent set of measures that we asked about, so things like the rule of six or um, table service only in uh, restaurants and bars, by sort of two, three, four to one, um, voters that we ask strongly approve of these or approve uh, more than disapprove. So as I said, the consistent theme is almost always that you ask about any possible measure that um, the government could put forward to, you know, try and combat the virus and it meets the public approval. So, so broadly then, Adam, people want more to be done in terms of lockdown measures, in terms of restrictions. Are they necessarily saying that they're sticking to what is being brought in? So this is, this is another interesting question that we've tried to track. So um, there's obviously been a bit of, um, early on, I'm sure we all remember the picture of Bournemouth Beach and, and uh, other sort of, um, you know, high-profile events um, and incidents like that where there seems to be lots of people breaking the rules. Um, most people, when, when we ask um, two versions of this question, so we ask if people agree or disagree with two statements, one of them is most people I know are obeying the rules, and 65% of people agree with that, only 14% disagree. And then we ask most people in the UK are obeying the rules, and only 41% agree and 32% disagree. So I think there's obviously, you know, the space of sort of reality to that to actually be true. But I think there is there is a perception um, among the public that, OK, well, you know, there are people disobeying the rules, but generally it's it's other people that I don't know so much about. What about confidence in the way the government is doing this more generally, not just necessarily, I suppose, in terms of the, the rules, but things like uh, the, 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 the track and trace? There's been a whole list, of course, of, uh, of things where it hasn't necessarily gone particularly well. Is the government confident, sorry, is the public confident that the government is in charge, really? So, again, one of, the, one of the things that we've also found, so another question that we've been tracking since about March, um, we're actually considering not tracking it anymore because um, it tends to track so closely to the approval figures. But we do ask, do you have confidence in the way the government, uh, in the government handling this, you know, the way they might handle this in the future? And the figures are almost always exactly the same as the overall approval figures. So if 50% of people approved of the way the government was handling things, then about 50% would also be confident they would handle things well in the future. So as I said, at the moment, the most recent figures we have are 50% disapproving of the way the government's handled things and 30% approving, which is actually the widest negative gap that we've had since we started asking about this back in March. Um, the other element of this, though, is that we ask about individual um, sort of aspects of the way the government's handled things. So we ask about things like uh, test and trace or track and trace, 
um, uh, PPE provision, um, yeah, testing more generally. And the marks on those are almost always pretty negative. Um, which is partly what you would expect because, you know, logically they wouldn't be in the news unless there was, you know, there were, there were deficiencies there. Um, but by comparison, when we ask about the, the economic response, um, in particular, you know, things like the furlough scheme and other, other ways that, um, you know, the government's been able to sort of mitigate the economic impact of it, those marks have been a lot more positive. So it's, it's I think there's a perception of um, what sort of competence the government has in some areas but lacks in others. So there's general sort of public approval of the way they've handled the economic parts of things, although with the furlough scheme ending, um, that possibly may change, um, and much um, sort of less confidence in the way they've handled lots of the other aspects. Okay, so it's quite nuanced then. And and what about Labour? Because you were the first polling organisation to put them ahead of the Tories in terms of voting intention. Is that a trend that is holding up? So we... We obviously don't necessarily know that yet because our, our most recent one um, is the one which had um, Labour three points ahead. Um, the general pattern since, certainly since the election and, and definitely since um, Keir Starmer came in, has been a gradual sort of closing of the gap. Um, and I think since March and April especially, you've seen the gradual sort of unwinding of two or three different effects. So one of them was the fact that obviously the Tories won the election quite convincingly last year. Um, and, you know, elect governments that win elections or parties that win elections get a bit of a sort of honeymoon boost in their poll ratings naturally. So that was sort of wearing off as well. Um, second was the fact that Labour obviously had a leadership contest. So there was a long period where um, Jeremy Corbyn was still in post and, and most voters weren't big fans of his. Um, and then also governments around or elected governments around the world, when the pand pandemic kicked in, there was an almost universal uh, what's called a sort of rally around the flag effect where um, the approval ratings and the sort of vote share for incumbent governments went up almost universally. So the Conservatives here got a big boost in their poll rating. They went above 50% several times. Um, but also, you know, the uh, yeah, Emmanuel Macron in France, his approval rating started to look nearly positive for the first time in years. Um, Angela Merkel's ratings went up. Uh, Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand, her ratings went up and so on. Um, the only leader who actually, I think, didn't, uh, didn't experience that was Donald Trump. But... Um, the, so that effect was was very much present in the early days of it, and then gradually, sort of, all those things are sort of worn off um, over the intervening couple of months. And then the other factor, sorry, also is um, obviously the fact that Labour this year got a new leader. And um, since we first started asking about Keir Starmer, he has only had net positive ratings, so more people approving than disapproving. Well, I I was just going to ask on that, Adam, just to drill into that. Do they see Starmer as a better person to handle this crisis, though, than Johnson? Is there that feeling? So the, the two questions we really ask about Starmer, one of them is, as I said, the, the approved-disapproved figures. Um, and, of course, yeah, it's possible to say you approve the way he's doing his job, even if you don't think he should be the prime minister. Um, but those have always been so much more positive than Boris Johnson's, especially since about May. Um, so Starmer's ratings are typically about um, plus 20, so about sort of 40-ish percent approve and 20-ish percent disapprove, while Johnson's are typically sort of about minus 5 to minus 10. Um, but the other question we have is uh, we just do a uh, direct um, trade-off. So of the two of them, who do you think would make the best prime minister? Um, there's a degree to which that question is always kind of weighted in favour of the incumbent prime minister, just because people see two people and one of them, you know, obviously is the prime minister. So there's a natural sort of boost there. Um, but for a lot of the summer, um, you saw Starmer and Johnson 
really with you know quite similar figures there. So they were both on about sort of 35-ish percent each. So it would normally be a tie between those two. And more recently, you've seen more leads for, for Starmer. And in particular, that poll we had um, the other week where Labour was three points ahead. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.